This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Thanks for listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Um, This is episode part three of Milk and Mammaries, and I've got Devin with me. Hi. Uh, We're driving back still from Vermont. Um, But this episode we talked about, and I'm kind of going to recap here a little bit because I don't think Devin's listened to these. First episode about milk and mammaries, like, mostly focused on milk and talking about, like, what what milk is made of, talked about, like, casein proteins and, um, like, kind of just, like, the composition of milk and uh, stuff like that. And then the second episode talked more about, like, anatomy and physiology and how it's actually produced and how it looks as it goes like into the udder and um what that what that all does um something else (laughs) you could listen to that if you wanted to um so that was episode two i feel like there's something i forgot that i talked about in the first episode i don't remember um but this episode I wanted to talk about like actual like milking and milking technique procedures um yeah like milk proper pro- proper milking protocol um and like maybe touch a little bit on mastitis or probably can talk about mastitis um in a in a reasonable way um cuz like milking like milking technique we'll start there in a second um you know there's like i don't know that there's a lot to say too much to say about it except like this is how you do it yeah or, this I mean, is a how lot you're of people supposed to do have it. different techniques well but yeah you but you really shouldn't well, you really should do it right the right way right um but because this is a more like even though devin's here this is a more like quote unquote real Go talk with the goat doc episode like okay. like topical um i'm going to kind of do all the usual podcast housekeeping stuff and say thank you for listening to everybody and um if you are enjoying the podcast and you would like to come say hi on the internet you can find me at goatduck.com you can find me on instagram at goat underscore doc that's kind of like the big places. I don't really even look at Facebook any much anymore because I think it's kind of terrible. It's a terrible place on the internet. Um, that's bad as Twitter. That's true. Um, but you know, to each their own. I find it's, it's Facebook stresses me out, so I don't go there. Um, so Instagram at go underscore doc um, and. Um, you can email me at goatdogcara at gmail.com. Um, 
thanks everybody for listening and rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts. If you have a moment and you are enjoying the podcast and you want to help other people like random internet strangers find the podcast, a way to do that is to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast player app of choice is because then the internet computer algorithm artificial intelligence skynet machine says oh people like that i will show it to more people and it does and then more people find it if you are like a podcast super fan and you're really enjoying the podcast and you think it is worth um throwing a couple of dollars a month at and you would like to join the super awesome group of patreon patrons over on my patreon you can check out patreon.com slash goat doc or it is under connect on my website um i think that is all of the housekeeping things i'm a terrible person and i forgot to write down the new patreon patrons who need shout shouts out um i'm really bad about that i said this in the last milk and devin's shaking his head with dismay at me some some Shame. some disappointing um uh, I said in the last episode I need like a an intern personal organizer slave yeah. <laughs> don't point that at them. huh don't point that at them yes paid intern. right um but I think that's all of that podcast housekeeping stuff, and I will disclaim that this podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your local vet, and I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR, veterinary and client-patient relationship, with your local vet. Okay, so now we can talk about milking talked about in the last episode about how um like the milk like between milkings or between nursing events uh milk collects in the gland cistern so that's like the biggest area of milk in the udder not in the teat and then there's the annular ring at the base of the teat which is its job is to hold the milk in the gland cistern until it is time to be nursed or milked um and then it should release and allow the milk to flow into the teat um so part of milking is like stimulation of oxytocin release to loosen like allow that annular ring to relax um and how do you do that and part of it is utter prep so and part of it is like routine too so like if you milk goats or you milk cows or you have animals that are used to their routine you know that they like their routine they like everything to be the same and they like it to all be like how they expected it so if you're milking the same time every day and you have the same routine every day and you have the same like same noises are happening every day those things all also can contribute to good milking and good milk letdown so like the sound of the air you know the milk air compressor thing yeah all of those things you know signal to the dough that i'm about to get milked hooray because milking should be like overall should be a pleasant experience um 
the other things that contribute to milk letdown, like, so for kids or, yeah, for, for goat kids, like, goat kids vocalizing, if they're, if the dam is raising the kids, like, if they're yelling, then that can stimulate oxytocin and that, um, can contribute to milk letdown also how kids like oh my god if you've ever bottle raised them you know especially when they get bigger they act like little jerks and they punch their faces at the bottle really hard (laughs) (laughs) oh my god we have seriously had goat kids give themselves bloody noses on the milk bars from how hard they hit their faces against they're crazy yeah um, so they jab the otter. Yeah. So they do that. Like you, if you've ever, then this is one of the reasons I think we've talked about why we don't, why we suckle. don't, why we hand milk, why we milk our does and feed the milk to the kids is like, because they're so rough. They're so rough. So rough. And their teeth are like little oh, razor blades. Yeah. Little razor blade teeth. Like it's all cute when they come out and they weigh, you know, seven pounds, but then they're like. You know, two months later, they're like 35 pounds of sharp teeth and hard noses punching you in the udder. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, but in any case, the, the kid, um, like, vocalizing and, uh, like, punching the udder with its nose <laughs> is, will also stimulate milk letdown. Um, the human equivalent of this is, like, the pre- um, the pre-milking protocol. And this is something that when we switched to a milking machine, Devin and I... We, hit, we bought it heads. Yeah, because it's not like... Like nothing was wrong. Why would I need to change something? But... Well, so the the whole goal of of the the milking, like the procedure, milking procedure is to have the cleanest... You don't want dirtiness to contact your milk or your teat. Mm-hmm. You're trying to make that as clean as possible. So the proper protocol is strip, dip, wipe milk. In okay. Half of a mile, so this is four, right four steps. Reach to the road. Um. F- do you need the GPS still? I don't know how to stop it, so. Either. <laughs> we don't know how to use the GPS in the truck. In four, in no, four no. Of a mile, I do that right every time. Turn. And did oh, you just try to turn her down and yeah. she doesn't turn down? Right. Ugh, I don't know how to use it. Um, so strip, dip, wipe, milk. And then milk and then post dip. So uh, I do another step in there too, actually. What do you do? I strip after milking too. Yeah. And that's, so that's controversial and we can talk about that when we get to it. Um, that's controversial. Yeah. Look well, at my 10 year old milkers and tell me that it's controversial. Well, I know. No, well, well this I'm is here. because, this is because it's the thing, it's the thing of how a lot of our stuff for dairy goats is extrapolated from cows. Mm-hmm, right. And maybe this is one of the things that isn't necessarily something that should be extrapolated from cows. But in any case, um, so stripping the teat is like squeezing out the four milk from the teat. So there's always, even though that annular ring at the base of the teat is keeping right the 
keeping the bulk of the milk up in the udder, up in the gland cistern. There's a little bit of milk in the teat cistern that's kind of like sitting there and chilling and has collected and maybe Proceed on bridge to the river. <laughs> maybe as um, you know the dough has lined up and here's the air compressor and the pulsation and is in line and you know that whole procedure is starting to stimulate milk let down that ring opens up and then there's a little bit more milk in that um, teat cistern that should be milked out so that's called the four milk um, and it's just the milk that's been in there probably the longest a um, couple things about the four milk and one I mean and there's a couple reasons you strip the four milk one reason is to like look at what the milk looks like ah, if there's a, a problem one. with the milk like you should see it in the four milk um, if there's evidence of mastitis if there is like the milk is discolored or clumpy or bloody looking or pink or there's clots in it um, you should see that when you strip into your strip cup and uh, the other thing about the four milk is like even when the four milk is totally fine um, that is where cells collect and like anything that's like heavier like bigger particles are going to gravity works they're going to fall to the bottom of the other udder they're going to fall into the um, base of the gland cistern and then into the teat cistern and that's going to be where all that stuff just collects and hangs out so you want to strip that out and not really have it go in your bulk tank yeah it will harbor so. your milk results like somatic cell counts and mm -hmm. other things will be red flagged if you don't take that out yeah so if you got if you if you like did a somatic cell count on the four milk coming out of the udder and then you milk the dough halfway out and then took another sample it'd be very possible to see a different oh, yeah. somatic cell count in those two things um for sure so those that's what you do there and you should be stripped like and this is, you know, cow dairies do this too. Some of them strip right onto the ground. Um, no. Some of, we strip into like a, a, a cup with a black filter in the top. So the black filter is um, like, so you can see better, like the white, white milk stands out against the black. Um, if there's little clots or clumps or anything like that, you see it in that strip cup. And that's the, that's the other kind of big reason to do that. So examining the milk, looking for it to be normal, and uh, getting rid of any junk that might have settled down in the base of the udder, in the bottom of the gland cistern, and then in the teat cistern. And it stimulates milking. Mm -hmm. and, that's the, and that's the other thing, too, is like that. So then you strip and you dip. And then the strip and the dip, so you're not really milking there, you're just manipulating the udder, kind of jiggling it around a little bit, massaging it almost, like this like a little preamble to real milking, strip dip. Most well, wiping is really stimulating. Well, it, yeah, um, but like you're not stripping, dipping, immediately milking, usually, no. like you shouldn't be because the, contact of the, dip. the dip time, yeah, the dip, depending what product you use usually requires a certain period of contact time for sanitation to kill bugs that are on the udder. And why you strip first and then you dip is because your hand is dirty. 
Um, even if you like you wear gloves for milking, great, that's fine. Um, but you're probably not changing your gloves between every single animal. And depending on your milking setup, if you're milking multiple animals, you probably have to go back and forth and touch different animals like in a row. Like touch animal number one, then touch animal number two, and then touch animal number three, and then go back to animal number one. And that's very common because that's more efficient to milk like that. Um, but you, when you strip, your hand is cut, your hand or your glove is contacting the udder, and then you dip. And then after you dip, you want to not have contact with that teat again. The only thing that should contact the teat should be your claw, well, your clean towel. Yeah, you need a clean towel. Because then you strip, dip, wipe. Right. So then you're wiping with a clean towel, whether it's a disposable towel or whether it's a laundered, like, multi-use towel. We started using the microfiber um, great. towels. They're great. They really nice. Yeah, one, one towel per dough. Um, and then they just get washed, and that's fine. Um, so strip, dip, wipe, and then after the dip is wiped off, the claw is attached, and you don't touch the teat between the wipe and the claw is the goal. Because anytime you touch that, it is dirty again. Um, but also, I mean, there's so much more to it than that. I mean, like, teat placement, that's where teat placement, like, is crucial. Because, like, if you're teats are way on the outside after you did all those steps and it's rubbing against their dirty leg I mean the chances are that teats mm -hmm. going to be contaminated or if you don't trim your udders down or legs inside of legs you know then the hairs are all touching the you mm -hmm. know, like it's it's crazy to think oh that that's not that big of a deal teat placement but it is a big one not just for having the inflators rest nicely on the teat while you're milking but like sanitation mm -hmm. well and i talked i think i talked a little bit about that in the last episode that like the um like teat placement is like i think it is one of the most varying characteristics oh, in, God, yeah, in goats in general like there's a huge very just huge variation in teat placement whereas if you go to a, a barn full of Holsteins all their teats are right close together so it's just the the nature of the beast um, so strip, strip strip dip wipe milk and then whether you milk you know whether you milk by hand or um with a machine it's the same kind of procedure if you're milking by hand you want your hands to be clean it's one of those things that like should go out go without saying but often needs to be said um and then after you're done milking uh this was the thing that Devin and I were talking about that's probably controversial because when cows are milked on a milking machine they're just milked until like the milk stops flowing basically and usually there's like 100 to 200 milliliters of milk left I want to say in each quarter of a cow what? yeah wow. I can't remember um, there's some milk left after the machine is done and like we have I'm always always we have always, even after machine milking, we have gone back with a pail after, um, 
the does were like after the mach- the machine had basically got all of the milk out it was going to get out can go we have gone back with a pail to strip the rest of it out and it varies on the dough how much that actually is it really does and that is another thing too that is like you know this is you know some doughs let their milk down with the like what Kara was saying all those triggers and then you can have all the triggers under the sun and they're not going to let their milk down you know you're shaking their udder and and then you kind of gotta like walk away for two minutes yes. and come back, right. and then, so then there's the down. milk. Um, so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> I just think when you do take most of the milk out of the udder, if if the longevity of that udder producing high volume is extended. Like, there's not yeah, a doubt in so, my mind. That like, the more milk you take out, like, if you empty them, empty them every single time you milk, then they're stimulated to make as much milk as they can. Um, we, when we started milking goats, I did most of the milking, and I hand-milked everybody. And we did that until we had probably a half a dozen does in milk. Um, and the when I would hand-milk them, I would just hand-milk them until there was no milk left. Until I, until it stopped, and then that was it. Until they were pretty empty, um, and that's that's kind of where the holdover of getting all that milk out, um, and like going back after the machine is done. That's where that has come with, come from, for us. Yeah, um, and I think like getting our lin- <clears throat> our linear appraisals was really what opened my eyes to our technique, to milking and utter health. It's like. You know, she was just, like, in awe that these girls were 8, 9, 10, and had such, like, less of plasticity or whatever. Like, their udders weren't hard. Like, they're nice and Very soft. Very nice, yeah. yeah and you still have, like... still, like, really nice function at, like, big hard spots where there was mastitis scarring or, you know, really thick median where the two halves come together. Like, they're all still nice and soft and... That's what makes the milk. You know, if you get hard spots in there, then that spot's not going to make milk. Mm. Or you get the shelf of hard in there from improper milking. You know, they're not going to make milk again. That's not going to fill back up again. Well, that's probably, like, a good segue to talk about mastitis. Yeah. Um, and God, is it awful. Because I talked in the last episode about, like, mastitis just means inflammation of the mammary gland. It doesn't, does not 100% always mean, like, bacterial mastitis, uh, infectious mastitis. It doesn't always mean that there's an organism involved. You can have mastitis from trauma. You can have, you know... Ma- like mastitis for other reasons um, pro- like and that's and I, I say that because I think it's important to differentiate um, because you don't treat them the same way uh, utter inflammation especially in does or cows I guess um, does that are early in their lactation um, utter can be inflamed just because of the huge shift in like metabolic activity of that tissue so like we've got a few does that when they come into milk they just come into milk hard and they're like they are there that tissue is trying so hard to make so much milk 
and it's not like primed for it yet it needs so there's lots of like utter edema they can be sore they can be pink but that it doesn't mean that they have like bacterial mastitis like we don't worry about it too much in these animals because we know them and we know how they make milk now and not every animal does that um but some of them do um so mastitis though like inflammation of the udder infection of the udder and in in inflammation or trauma of the udder can cause the same like downstream problems that uh like bacterial damage can cause you can get scarring in the udder from trauma if there's some kind of big blunt force trauma or some kind of trauma to the udder it can cause damage to the um to the mammary glands so the glandular cells that are producing the milk and cause scarring like just like bacteria can so yeah um mastitis like caused by infectious like by organisms like the organisms have to come from somewhere right and this is why the technique of milking and the procedure of milking and try to be clean as possible while milking is important because you're trying to have healthy milk you're trying to not have bugs crawl up in there and cause a problem um and having said that, we're trying we're talking about these animals that live in a barn and bacteria is everywhere. Like bacteria is everywhere. That's that's everywhere. The, that's the way it is. Um so there's normal bacteria that live on the skin. That's like normal skin flora. There's bacteria, there's we call environmental organisms. Um that live in the environment so they live in poop they live in bedding they live in hay and those can potentially cause mastitis and like some of them are more obvious than others when there's a problem some of them are less obvious than others when there's a problem but um and those two things don't necessarily like have to do with how easy it is to kill the bug basically um so yeah like when I guess there's kind of two categories of mastitis there's clinical mastitis and there's subclinical mastitis so clinical mastitis is like obvious here there's a problem with this udder it's pretty obvious that there is one visually so how what does that look like it could look like um the foremilk that you strip out is like clumpy or stringy or smells bad or is bloody or doesn't even look like milk i've seen it come out and look like bloody water like it's it can be really gross um so there's that um the udder can be warm and red and painful um Or on the opposite end of the spectrum, when you get really bad, uh, like, infectious organism mastitis, and you can have, like, gangrenous mastitis, the udder can be cold uh, because there's been so much damage done to the udder that the blood supply is cut off, and that tissue is going to die. So that would be, like, clinical mastitis. 
Um, you can see there's a problem. Um, other uh, in the clinical mastitis realm, there's also like uh, septic mastitis. So the the udder has um, a blood milk barrier. So like the the udder is pretty well walled off from the rest of the body. Um, you can have mastitis in the udder, and like it it may most of the time I would even say it doesn't make the animal systemically ill. So like the, there can be a raging infection going on in the udder, but because the rest of the body is kind of walled off and protected by this blood milk barrier, um, the the animal is walking around like everything's fine. Unless you have um, like a septic mastitis situation. And that is more commonly like an E. coli, um, gram-negative type organism. Um, and those animals can get really sick really fast. And, the, and then they run a fever, they, um, you know, they're, they're down and out and they don't feel good. Um, half of a mile right turn onto Portland Street. Uh, septic mastitis, usually like something like E. coli, often by the time the animal is sick, there's not much you can do about the infection in the udder. Uh, so, yeah. Those animals, those animals can be quite sick. They then those animals, those are the animals that need like systemic supportive care. There's not, and in in the vast majority of mastitis cases that are not septic mastitis, there's not a good indication to give systemic antibiotics. So antibiotics that treat the whole body because they're not going to treat the udder. If I give an injection of an antibiotic in that animal's leg, depending what the antibiotic is, it is right either going to reach minimal uh, concentrations in the milk and in the udder tissue, or it's not going to get in there at all and it's not going to do anything. So treating infectious mastitis, bacterial mastitis, you need to put the antibiotics where the problem is, which is usually uh, like an intramammary infusion. Proceed on Portland Street. There's no, there's no reason to give a systemic antibiotic because it's probably not getting where you want it to go. Um, unless this is a septic mastitis. What else do I need to say here? Um, well, so, there's a lot of, like, what I see with mastitis is you don't even know. Right. So I was just going to say. Like, we, I don't, most of the time that I see mastitis in the herd is I'll strip them. There's no sign. But, like, once a week, I'm bre breaking out my CMT test. Mm -hmm. And that's my California mastitis test. And I can, like, Kara, fill you in more on what that is. But basically, you know, I squirt, squirt some milk into these cup things. And then I have a solution that's pre-mixed and I squirt a set amount into that, swirl around, and if it gels up, there's some issues going on in there. There's probably some mastitis going on. There's like, and so normally when that happens is I'll try to treat it 
without a milk withholding. So I'll do it like uh, holistically with like peppermint cream. Maybe I'll give him some vitamin C. You know, I'll do whatever I can to make that not gel up um, naturally. So I don't have to infuse him with something. Then I have to withhold milk and hand milk them and dump the milk to the pigs. It's a pain. So I try to do as much as I can. But yeah, that's... In my so, time milking, I have seen very few cases of like, oh my god, that goat has mastitis. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Penny comes to mind when it mm-hmm. looked like a red balloon, mm-hmm. when she and that was a goat that freshened really hard her first time. Like, holy crap, you're making way too much milk way too quick. Mm-hmm. Um, type of situation. Um, we've lost goats halves where like the infection sets on so quick and so early. You try to treat it and it's already too late. Or you're like, you send the milk out for sample and by the time it gets back, yeah. it's already done so much damage. You're like, well, I gotta dry this half off. Like, yeah. So yeah, so that's um, part of, like, so that kind of gets into like the subclinical mastitis thing. So we're talking about clinical mastitis, there's obviously a problem. There's, you know, maybe an organism. And then subclinical mastitis is what Devin's talking about. It's like, I wouldn't have known there was a problem except I went looking for it. Mm -hmm. And then Devin is talking about doing a CMT, California mastitis test, which is, um, you know, it's a little, it's a cow side or, or goat side test where you take a milk sample and then you dilute it out with an equal part of the CMT reagent and the CMT reagent is supposed to react with the DNA in the white blood cells and cause a gel. So if there's above a certain threshold of cells, you can get like, it will look like the milk's a little bit thick or it'll look like it's a gel or it'll look like it's a big solid glob jellyfish. Um, That's real bad. And so that tells you, okay, there's more cells in here than I want there to be. Um, the, um, and then what do you do with that? Okay. So there's a couple things you can do and they're, uh, like the, the, probably like the gold standard and the best possible thing to do would be, okay, I see this, um, positive CMT. I am going to get a sample of this milk and I'm going to culture it to see if there's an organism there. So when you take a milk sample for culture, you want to have, like, you want to do this as sterily as possible because, like I talked about, there's bacteria everywhere and any bit of contamination is going to screw up your culture because, like, you want to know if there, only if there is bacteria in the milk, not if there's bacteria on the skin because there is bacteria on the or skin. Or in the cup, you're... Yeah. Or in the sample cup you're taking or, like, did you hold the cup upright and something fell down you know, from the goat as you were taking the sample, like, you know, you need to try to do this as sterily as possible. When I do it, I try to use it like a sterile, um, like human urine collecting cup, um, yeah, and hold it on an angle so that nothing can drop down from above from the goat's hair into the cup. Um, and also like, do the usual utter prep and then I wipe with a like alcohol swab before taking the sample so then you can do that and get a culture and then if you have a positive culture you've got an organism and you know what to treat the problem with getting a culture is it usually takes a week to come back and what do you do in the meantime so you've got this goat in a subclinical mastitis case I would probably 
do what Devin does and not put an antibiotic in there. And if the goat is doing fine and the milk looks normal um, and it's not like a raging, crazy positive CMT, uh, then I would carry on until I got the results. And then maybe it's a negative culture. Who knows? Um, it could be a fluke. Um, that's that's the problem with that. And then the, that's the other problem with, you know, this gets back to the is it inflammation or is it infection question of having a high cell count in, in milk. Did that, you know, did that go get pounded in the udder by somebody? Did she get squished between the door? Did she fall down? Did she get kicked? Is she one of those high producing does that her udder's just like going crazy and causing inflammation from trying to make too much milk? So sometimes you can just kind of work them through it and then they do fine. Um, but I'm a big believer in not treating something with an antibiotic if so I know. don't think if I'm not certain that there's a bug there. Right. But other things, too, that can be, um, like, more subtle clinical signs of mastitis are just, like, a little bit of decreased milk production. Yeah. This doe suddenly in her right half is not making as much milk as her left half. Right. I see a lot of that. And the and most then, of it is because they're sucking it out. <laughs> Serious. Like, I... Or they lay a certain way in the barn, and that side's not going to make as much. Mm. Like, I, I beat myself up all the time for uneven udders, and I'm like, oh my god, break out the CMT thing, and I do the CMT test, and everything is fine, and it's like, well, where? why is there not as much milk in this side as the other side? I don't, like, it's a substantial amount. Like, what's going on here? And, like, if you're sneaky and you pull up your barn cams, you'll see them in there taking a drink. I you think know? the other thing too is sometimes like if one side milks out faster than the other yeah, side, it can orifice. be it can be a difference in teeth yeah, orifice size. Exactly. How much yeah. you're actually getting out of there? Yeah, if you're getting more out per pulsation yeah. because the orifice is a little bit larger, mm. then it's gonna seem like oh that right side always milks out faster. It must yes. have less. Right. Or, like, we've had some does that have had trauma to their teat ends. They stepped on or lacerated their teat ends, and then there's some scar tissue there. Um, So that side, it's not so much that the other side's bigger, is that that side's smaller, and it doesn't milk out as fast. But that's better than losing that half of her udder. So happy we got to be safe. That goes teat. Yeah, it's a little wonky, but... Milks out fine. Better than no teat. Yeah. Um, hmm... What else? Um, like normal, well, I guess. I would say that like mastitis in the dairy herd that's making cheese. Like if you don't keep on top of this, your cheese isn't going to turn out right. Like if you're like, oh, they all look fine. They're all making enough milk. You know, I don't see any clinical signs of mastitis, but you're not doing your routinely CMT checks. And your milk and your cheese is all like, why is it breaking so early? Why is it like cottage cheese? Why, you know, why is there no consistency to my product? And go back to utter health. Mm. 
like seriously go um, right back to it inflammation yeah like inflammation and changes in the udder from mastitis can cause like I think probably the big thing that it can change is like a change in the pH mm-hmm. um, which is absolutely going to affect your cheese making and is not going to um, like it'll affect how how it reacts to your rennet and your cultures and how quickly it sets up and all of those things mm-hmm. are affected by pH and um, is not going to um <laughs> There's a noodle walking down the road. Um, is not going to be altered significantly by like pasteurization or heat treating. Right. So, it's, gonna, um, it's gonna stay the same. The like if you have change. like bugs in your milk and then you pasteurize it, the bugs are all gonna die. Mm-hmm. But if you have like a really acidic milk um, and you pasteurize it, it's still gonna be acidic coming out the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I just gonna say? Um. Wow, that's pretty. Mm. Whoa. Um, one and like it's. I think it's worth keeping track of this stuff. Like Devin, right now, he said, "I and like I'm so bad. I've been in the milking parlors not very much in the second half of the summer, um, through the fall." But um, no, I stayed on top of that. I mean, it's. Fairly yeah. easy to do, and like if you have, you just kind of integrate a CMT into like your pre-milking, you yeah. know, strip, and then Monday mornings, and do then it squirt all. an extra little bit of. Yeah, uh, don't squirt your stripped milk into your CMT, right? Because then it's all of them are going to come up positive because all that, all those cells sink to the bottom. Like Kara said at the beginning of this episode, it's like, you know, get that out of there. And then instead of, like, if you, like, squirt, squirt, and then you would dip, just be, like, squirt, squirt, squirt into your CMT paddle, and then dip. Like, it's not that big of a a change. Um, And then the other thing that maybe I should add this to 2021 goals, too, is, like, get on milk test. Because, like, CMT is great. It's a quick and easy, like, subjective patient side test to say, is there a problem in this milk? But getting on milk test, like, once a month, you are going to send an individual milk sample from every individual milking animal in the herd, and you are going to get back individual data with a number of somatic cell count, of somatic cells per milliliter for that particular animal. Oh, isn't that genetic too, right? Is that a genetic thing? What? Where, like, this, these genetics, this goat is going to have higher somatic cell well, count no, not, or not necessarily. more casein or oh yeah well casein yes casein yes That's but somatic genetics. cell count is more can have more to do with like you know like your multiparous like your multiple lactation dose are more likely to have more somatic cells um, your okay. late lactation dose are more likely to have more somatic cells um, yeah so but it's like it's just the difference between like a yes or a no and like this is like 100 Mm -hmm. this is 200 like it's it's just a more specific data point if you're on milk test and then you're also going to know like how much butter fat is this individual animal producing how much protein is this individual individual animal producing so like helps for breeding yeah um so maybe i'll add that to my once I get all of our our records electronic, that adds value to your herd mm-hmm. yeah. too. Like yeah. if you can, you have somebody else documenting how much each goat is producing and how 
what quality their milk is, definitely going to be increasing your value of that milking animal. Mm-hmm. Which I, we've never done before. I've never... Right. What, but we're going to have to, like, suck it up, and once a month we're going to have to I do want, milk I want to tests. add value to my milking herd without adding numbers. Right. You know, so if I want to, like, increase the value of my herd without feeding more mouths... It would be getting more money for milking animals. So mm-hmm. by the ways of doing that is keeping your otter health. Like yep. And that's and that's the other thing I was gonna mm-hmm. say kinda in this in this line of thought is like doing that thing, whether it's being on milk tests or whether it's doing the CMT or whatever it is to stay kind of on top of your utter health and like if they're like catching a small problem before it com- becomes a big problem and yeah. maybe it's not going to become a big problem but what is the you know how much harder is it to do that one little thing once a week um like it also just you know you're gonna your, your animal is probably gonna have like better longevity for its udder it's probably gonna make more milk like in in every 24 hour period let alone every 305 day lactation mm-hmm. um so and that's really what i one of the things i really value at flying go farm is that our does produce really good for a long time mm-hmm. and that all goes down to utter health and like my best producers were the ones that i just retired they were the oldest goats in the barn they were producing the most milk I'm going to miss them milking them, but it's their time. But just that utter health that, I mean, there was two that's what That's how you can get 10 lactations exactly. out of a doe. Yeah, and good ones. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, it makes me a little upset saying it like that. <laughs> we'll get them a gazebo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Um, I think, I feel like I covered lots of things about utter health and mastitis yeah with your input thank you um i like udders my voice is getting kind of tired now Mm -hmm. and we're almost home and gonna have to do chores in the dark so uh, if you have questions about utter stuff i think i i don't know if i'm gonna do another utter episode so i could do one about like weird weird utter stuff yeah we've um, had some weird utter stuff Lots no of skin. we we haven't had weird utter okay, stuff well, we have skin <laughs> i'm talking about weird weird zebra utter oh, no, stuff no, so yeah i might do another episode about like unusual utter things like really weird utter cases but i think i kind of covered most of the stuff that i wanted to cover when talking about udders and milk and mammary health um, if I left something out, if there's something you would like to know more about in this area or another area, shoot me an email or find me online. And aside from that, I think that will do it for the moment. And I will talk to you guys next time.